So, Logocentrifugal, Episode 3, James P. Dowling, or James Prowling Dowling. Prowling Dowling. It's more like I've been called the, the chisel-jawed boyo, the true Night King, the corpse of Carl Jung. There are many names I go by, including the most handsome man. You, you, you what? I'm not going to call you any of those. I'd, I'd, I'd like if you did. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> Something nice that sort of reflects my, my regal nature, I think. But uh, Americans don't understand sarcasm, of course, so that gets me into a lot of trouble. Actually, that, that was one, one thing I wanted to say. I was watching The Inbetweeners yesterday, Channel 4 show, very funny. And the, the comedy of that show is they insult the living shit out of each other. It's like, whereas Americans, you don't really do that so much unless you're in a fraternity. You, you, you're, you're very nice to each other. You look after each other. Whereas I've tried to insult somebody on the internet before in a playful way, and they're like, what the hell are you doing? That's so mean. It's like, no, it's not. I call you a prick because I like you. We used to insult each other effectively, and I still haven't left the practice, but you know how things are going over here. Yes. Yeah, well, you're you're still so sensitive. And affection was pulling out my uncle's leg hairs on the instruction of my father or insulting somebody or, you know, like everyone was gay. Um, oh yeah. Everyone was an idiot. Everyone was a retard. Uh, you know, and now you can't even say those words without everybody getting their panties in a twist. You can't even say everybody getting their panties in a twist. Yeah. Yeah. How dare you? That is, that is cis heteropatriarchal normative. So when did retard become a bad word? I still use it, but I get into trouble, but I can't say the R word. Me too. And I'm never Stop being such a retard. It's I'll, I'll give you an example of how ridiculous this is and, and why, why I think it's incorrect. I mean, number one, the definition of the word is clearly stated in the dictionary. You know what the number two definition is? Um, an insulting definition that they tacked on later. It just means your brain doesn't work right in a certain regard. Ah, uh, okay. There are lots of people with parts of their brain that have limited development. I'm one of them. I'm literally retarded in a bunch of areas of my life. I'm literally a genius in others and it helps to compensate, but What's the problem with that? If you're bad at managing money, guess what? You're retarded at managing money. You can affect the retardation by getting some education and discipline, but nevertheless, if you don't, you're retarded. But I was, I was, watching, I was watching the movie The Ringer. Have you seen that with Johnny Depp? Where he... I, have not, I have not seen that. I'm very bad with movies that came out after the 1930s. He impersonates a person with Down syndrome to go... Um, fix the special olympics so that people can make bets and win on it turns out um even though he's not a down syndrome person uh he's still a bad athlete and has a real hard time actually uh making the cut but regardless of that i listened to the commentary on that movie and some of the down syndrome people in the movie we don't like it when people call us the r word and i'm thinking to myself why is this clearly it's because somebody told you not to want to be called that if somebody mm -hmm. called you a retard and you didn't know any better you wouldn't care i mean it would be malicious to call someone with down syndrome a retard insultingly hey retard you know like what? <laughs> yeah. you might do that in second grade but beyond that it's unacceptable uh, but yes. the point is they were getting upset about the r word and but only because somebody told them to hmm. and when you manufacture upset like that you're guaranteed to amplify the upset of the world and what good does that do we just need to have things to bicker about like whether or not i can use the word retard hmm. 
yeah it's it's a weird crusade but there there is a good point under it though like i don't i don't dismiss it it's like what level of of speech is unnecessarily harmful and we should regulate is it because because is that you should have free speech obviously but should you be able to go up to a homosexual and call them you know a fucking dirty fag it's like just just generally being couth don't make it illegal but you know in a schoolyard for example and i'm just doing institutions law so it's like which words are which words are going to come next can i can i call you an idiot or stupid or, or anything that doesn't reflect your, your true genius in the world. It's like, can I only compliment you? But, but, but then if, if compliments are lies in that case, you know, it's like, surely that's just as bad. Worse, because right? you've added dishonesty into the mix. Yeah, so, so, so where, where's the value system? It's like, they've put people's feelings over the top of actual honesty. It's like, let's see how well that works out into the future, shall we? Exactly right. I mean, you know, in nature, which we'd like to think we've divorced ourselves from, but inevitably we can't, that's impossible because all things are within the umbrella. Mm. But regardless, in nature, if a species makes itself soft, a species makes itself dead. Yes. And there are enough human beings that even if 99% of all of us became soft and sterile and destructive, the 1% would be enough to carry on. We've proved it before. We'll likely have to prove it again, the way things are going. I mean, honestly, but mm. it's, when I, when I ask myself, is, is this behavior going to allow us to continue healthy and resilient into the future? Mm. And the answer is no. I think we got to cut that shit out. Yeah, that's a very evolutionary mindset. That, that's the way I think with everything. That's why I don't like some some of the some of the like the the MGTOW philosophy, for example. So I don't like that because it's evolutionarily dead. So we will no longer breed, and it's and it's the same thing. Like, what happens if all the young men become really soft and also really resentful, and 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 they want the government to take care of everything for them? It's like we know what massive government does, and it's not a very good thing. Now, what they're actually playing on that in the UK at the moment. Yeah, I, I saw a sign, I know I've seen the adverts for it on YouTube, but I saw a sign advertising coming into the army. And it was like, like me, 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 millennial. The army needs your self-obsession and your self-belief. So, so the army are actually like playing on the, this, this weird softness of, of millennials. It's like, why would you use your, your, your smartphone to make things better when you, when you can like do it in the army? We need your tech-savvy nature. It's like, what the hell are you doing? It's, it's like, would you rather have the big, strong, burly man in the army or, or, or that? It's like, it's, it's, it's the strangest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, why are we deifying being soft? Is it a consequence of this sort of feminine imperative in our time right now? It's like, it's like, and that's not going to work out because also women don't like soft men. So it's like the whole thing is like this weird paradox. It doesn't work. Yeah, you know, um... <clears throat> I, I wrote about this the other day in a tweet, but it's like, okay, you guys, um, if there are a bunch of alpha males circling around and contending with each other, then a sneaker male can float in under the radar and gather with the gaggle of gals and inseminate one because he was able to sneak in there and he was rewarded for his cleverness. Mm. But it's not clever if everyone's a fucking sneaker male, you know, like it's, mm. it's a bunch of men pretending to be ladies. And then that becomes the new contest for 
the hand of the fair maiden. Meanwhile, one alpha comes in, blows them all over with a stiff wind, and has his choice of the ladies. And that's honestly what happens. Even the ones that paid lip service to the idea that they don't want a man like that in their lives. You see even the most ardent feminist lady have a visceral reaction to a man who's handsome and confident and has a physical, um, you know, essence about him that says, I can command this body. And you see him in comparison with like someone with a spare tire around their gut and, uh, you know, thick rimmed glasses that aren't even prescription. He's just trying to fit in and he's, he's bringing back the beta haircut from the 1950s with the side sweep and the, and the full, you know, it's like, Jesus kid. Um, I, I know that you've allowed these ladies to shape you like a baby doll, but the reality is that no lady worth her salt wants a man who's feckless and unable to make decisions for himself or stand his ground because when it comes down to it, if you make babies with each other, you're going to be too weak to protect them. And you're not even going to have the instinct to do it because you're a weak, soft bitch. You need to go get in the gym and pick up some weight off the ground until you're proud to look at yourself in the mirror and then we can talk. Hmm. And, and even any kind of moral virtue as well, which, which the, the beta types, and you say beta in America, and I say that sometimes too, but the, the whole beta types, there's no kind of moral virtue whatsoever. It's all, it's whinging and it's resentment and it's, and it's blaming everyone else for their problems. So we need daddy government to come in. It's, and it's, it's, it's very strange. I, I can't quite figure out feminism, to be honest. There, there are loads of, there are loads of approaches to it, but it's like women, I, I, this is why I kind of side on the, on the shit test idea. It's like women for some reason want to shape men to be way softer, but at the same time, they only want to sleep with the alpha males. So is this, is this, this feminist thing an unconscious projection onto society as a whole saying we need to differentiate between the really manly men and the really shitty men? So, so anyone who actually goes along with this is a shitty man and we won't sleep with them. Because like, you can be an ardent feminist, but it's like the ardent feminists generally, well, usually they're unattractive, but they will still go get really drunk, go to the clubs and sleep with an alpha type. Like not, not even the overall alpha. It's like the alpha of the small hierarchy, which proves the point completely. So it's like, if you've got three guys, one will always be the alpha. You know, if you've got two guys, they can sort of compete with each other. But in any specific instance of time, one will always be the alpha of the other one. That's why the woman goes for. In every single friend group I've ever been a part of, the woman goes for that. So it's like, why, why are you trying to create strong men? Or, or could it be a consequence of the pill a little bit like the cosmic serpent idea. Could it be that the, that the pill and the biological effects it's having is actually influencing the personality where the fact that women can now enter the workforce, they're trying to damage the competition so that women as a collective representing an individual is able to actually go ahead and take their place because there's less competition. So I have no idea. I have no idea. But I do know I'm not going to be a feminist. So that's all that matters really. Yeah, man. When it comes to something like that, I, I take a bit of a... Um a leap of faith position where um, I'm convinced that consciousness scales and to the extent that a system is complex is the extent of its consciousness in a lot of ways. Like for example, you know, I live in a city and the city has a character, it has a flavor. And I don't think that's a, merely a trick of perception. I think the city is alive in a certain mm. way. Um, I agree. I, I think that there is, there's an overarching evolutionary consciousness 
and I and I don't say that casually. I th I think there's an evolutionary consciousness that um, influences the thoughts that we interact with. I think thoughts evolve in the same way that other things evolve, except much more rapidly, hmm. because you know I have a I have a mind that has countless memories and they interact with each other. And when I access one, it's then impacted by everything that I've experienced before and after. And I interface with my memory as a series of ideas that tell a story. And I don't think that's accidental. And mm. I think that continues along outside of me. And so when I look, when I look at the softening of the males and I look at um, the intentional application of tools to soften males by a lot of the females, I think that is a response, almost a zeitgeist response to the evolutionary consciousness saying, um, there's a lot of things going on on this planet. I'm planet Earth. I'm trying to survive. What is it that I need to do to this creature that's clearly overstepped the bounds of responsibility in order to enable the entire ecosystem to survive? Now, I'm not trying to be a climate alarmist or anything like this, but the world is changing and we're clearly breeding and creating and building and using resources in a way that um, is irresponsible. Whether or not it's sustainable, I don't know. Inventions are very powerful tools, but as it stands right now, it's not responsible. We know there are problems and we go, fuck it. Let's keep going. Let's see what happens. You know, that's a reckless behavior. And in nature, if you're reckless, you die. And perhaps... Um, because this evolutionary consciousness has created us, I think there's a reason for that. You know, I think, and I've talked about this with the ion group and I talked about it in my last podcast a little bit. I think we're meant to seed life. I think that's why we're building up to AI. I think that's why we're understanding. Um, I think that's where our understanding is headed. Like, okay, we're life is on this planet. Life is recognized consciously. This planet's going to die. It's not going to last forever. I want to continue going. I need to seed it out of here. Okay but there's a lot of waste and distraction and stuff and we're not focusing on that. How can I get rid of a little bit of this irresponsibility? Well, let's program these fuckers to be weak and soft and sterile and let the strong survive and let them play a social game of survival of the fittest and see what happens. And the reality is that if it comes to an actual war between 99 super betas and one super alpha, the super alpha is going to be the one to pull the trigger. Super alpha is going to be the one to drop the bomb. The super alpha is going to be the one to survive because the betas have within them an inherent dissatisfaction for existence. And that's what it comes to for me. Ardent, overzealous feminism and a failure to recognize um, the inherent capabilities and necessities of a strong man within the, me the, the male community. That's, that's a self-destructive and self-loathing perspective from from my perspective because you're not furthering the ability of life to sustain itself mm. so if you hate yourself then you're not going to have the gumption to sustain yourself should it come to a head and since you're trying to steer it to a head you are steering yourself into a condition ripe for your destruction and there are going to be those out there who are more than happy to heed the call to smash you into the dirt because it leaves a lot more for us on this planet to enjoy without you soft, nerfed up, complaining, safe space fucks, getting in the way of everything. And it seems to me that's going to happen sooner rather than later.
Had, of course, I had to pause the mic there because shopping has turned up. So you can obviously hear Doc barking away in the background because the damn doorbell. I, I, I really like that idea and I think there's something to it. A couple things there. One would be the seeding idea. Life does seed our life, but it's through normal reproduction. So I'm not convinced we have to leave the planet in order to sustain ourselves. Because if your argument is correct, then we will naturally self-regulate, either war or plague, things of that nature. But there's also weird ones I'm toying with as well. It's like things like transgenderism and homosexuality are on the rise. Right? That, that's documented. Now, people will say it's either people are coming out of the closet more because we're less accepted. It's like, I don't know, man, over 10% of the population being involuntarily infertile in a psychic manner does not seem to be very healthy because it's, it's not, not the same in other species. You know, it's like, so, so what is this exactly? Is it, is it a form of, of quorum sensing? Like bacteria, when they get to a certain population size, they'll... they'll they, they regulate their own population size. Not so much with transgenderism, because I think transgenderism could, could be a result of general psychic unrest, because there, there seems to be some ideas of identification with, with anima and animus problems doing in psychology. I don't know. And I'm free to say that because the literature on this stuff is dismal. We have no idea what causes this stuff. And again, not a value judgment on any of this, this stuff. But, but could it be that we will naturally regulate our stuff anyway? So when people say we'll reach you know, the population will keep building and building and building and building. Is, like, is that the case? You know, is it, is it the case? You know, in China, they regulated their population through government control, but it's like, what makes you think that, that it would get out of control? When resources start getting scarce, why won't people naturally migrate to other areas? People naturally slow down their, their consumption, lifestyle changes. So I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. It's like, it seems almost alarmist to me. And when people talk about it, it's very rarely out of a place of empirical evidence and it's normally a place out of i really don't like human beings and because the language that they use really reflects what they truly mean they say we are a cancer we are a plague we are a parasite so the idea that we're separate from mother earth therefore some kind of parasite or a cancer something unwanted is, is so stupid it's, it's like we are a part of mother earth because mother earth birthed us it's like there was there was there was like neil degrasse tyson talks about with like the stars it's like these, 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 these stars coalesce into us, like we come from God and, we, and we, we're like born, right? And, and we come from the same stuff as Mother Earth. We are the same thing. And then over the course of the evolutionary time, we're naturally building ourselves up. And we might have to go off into space and reach God again in archetypal language. Or it's like, why can't we just sort of regulate ourselves here and, and try and figure out our own problems? So it's like that meta-consciousness idea is very interesting. Where do you think... What substrate do you think this meta-consciousness exists in? Is it some extra realm, some extra dimension, or is it just implicit in the DNA of individuals? Hmm. Well, let me, let me work up to responding to that by going back to some of the things you just said, because um, number one, when I spoke of seeding and the inevitable destruction of this planet, I'm taking a long view of that. We have, we have several billion years left on this planet before the sun eats it. Oh, gotcha. Okay. You know, and, and I know that, and you know that, and therefore the knowledge is known. Like here's, here's, here's a little tangent just to kind of get a little woo woo on stuff, but that's fine because we're, we've already kind of gotten there with the, with the overmind. If something is known by anyone, it's known by the overmind. You know, this, this planet, I, I mean, I really think the planet itself is conscious. There's, there's, no, there's really no gap between life across 
across the entire globe. I mean, we've, we've learned that life goes much deeper into the soil than we thought miles or kilometers, kilometers and kilometers. They've, they've now discovered it goes down um, at least five kilometers and probably more. And in fact, there's more life in the dirt than there is on top of it. They've now discovered it's like, that's, that's a lot of stuff. Cause you look around and you see the stuff on top of it and to consider that there's more within it that's living. That's amazing. But hmm. like if you have one person by themselves, they're a hermit. If you have a small group of people, you have a family unit. If you have a larger group, you have a community, et cetera, et cetera. But those things impact behaviors. You act differently as a hermit than you do as a family on the frontier, than you do as a small town trying to survive, than you do as an established city, a country, a, a planet. But we, I really think like the zeitgeist kind of proves to me that there is an overmind. And if, and if it's conscious of what I'm doing and transmits that action somewhere halfway across the globe and coalesces into the same thought or the same innovation at the same time without contact with me, mm. how do you explain that? You know, I mean, it could be that there are enough similarities in the lifestyle and we're similar enough in the processes of thinking as a human being that it just coalesces at the same time. But even then without contact and without the share of ideas, the exchange directly, it, it seems to me that it just, it is alive. So, okay. So we have, we have this and, and just like if you want to echo sort of, okay, we're, we come from mother earth. We are a life that has been brought about by this planet, which I think is living and conscious. Everything on this life divides and replicates. So like, okay, Mother Earth is a cell and it's a living cell and it has a membrane. And within that membrane are, um, you know, encoded information and it's able to extract a piece of itself and seed it elsewhere. Um, but then, but then you really start getting into the viral nature because it's like, okay, well, there's already a planet, there's already a cell. And so is it that we are sending, you know, a RNA encoded message, so to speak onto another planet and then hijacking its already existing mechanisms to start replicating, you know, it's like, okay, well, there, there are pieces of viral nature that are embedded into the way that our life, our life acts. So, so that's kind of my response to that is it's like, it's a long game. Life wants to survive forever. And I, I think actually that that's one of the mechanisms that we beat entropy. As long as you got a beating heart, you're moving, you're gathering resources, you're rearranging them to use. And the more efficiently you can do that, uh, the more that you stave off the heat death. And if life is living everywhere, well, you, we might be able to stave it off indefinitely. That's life one of the ways to get around the eternal life problem in Christianity is when Jesus said, if, if, like, the, through me you reach the Father and through me you reach eternal life. So what if life means life as such in the way you're talking about it? Where in, in, inevitably one individual will succumb to entropy. That's just how things happen. Like, we don't know, but the aging, pro I worked on the aging process last year as my master's degree. So bloody complicated. And we don't actually know where it starts or if certain things are consequences of other things. And they seems to all be simultaneous. Once you get like the first bit of oxidative stress, that's it, off you go. Millions of different things go wrong. So you will succumb to it. But if you mean life as such, yes, absolutely. But then, but then like, what about things such as, such as nihilism, which, which prevents you from, from breeding or, or, or ideas like 
antinatalism. Because ideas are like memes. They self-propagate themselves. Only a finite number of human ideas within particular patterns. So it's like, are they becoming more frequent because the meta-consciousness is controlling the population? Like, is, 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 that your, is that your model? Well, it's, that's, this is where you start to get to some, some higher order conglomerations of, of ideas. Like, let's, let's, let's continue with um, some viral thinking for a moment on this because mm. let's take Ebola, for example. Ebola is not a very effective infection. Mm. And I guess it's a bacterial infection. No, it's a viral infection. Yeah, it's a viral mm. infection. And it's not a very effective one in humans because it kills us so fast and so obviously that humans stay away from other humans with Ebola when they notice it for the most part. And sometimes culturally or whatever, if you need to do burial rites or whatever, that can affect you. And, you know, a group of villages gets wiped out in a place that doesn't have a good understanding of hygiene. Fair enough. But if I see someone bleeding out of their eyes and their butthole in the street, vomiting out blood and black bits of flesh that have melted out of their insides. I'm not going anywhere near that dude. Yep. RIP. And there are thoughts that are like that too, or there are clusters of thoughts. Like I imagine a meme as a cell, like a base unit of consciousness. Um, if we're, if we're kind of going down this branch, let's imagine that a meme is a cell. And a cluster of memes allows mimetics, M-I-M. You know, you, yeah. you mimic behaviors that you see in the world, and those behaviors are spawned from a cluster of ideas, and ideas seek to replicate themselves. If your cluster of ideas, which is essentially your consciousness, your person, if your cluster of ideas gets contacted by a highly virulent and destructive idea, it might make your mind bleed out through your ears and you might vomit out all the good ideas because it's replicating itself so strongly and so aggressively that there's no longer room. And you can see this, like mm -hmm. people get caught with an overarching meme of the day, whether it's hate Trump or love Trump, whether it's MAGA or punch a Nazi. And you can have a conversation with someone who's um, been overtaken by this idea and you can't have a conversation with them because everything returns to this one central idea. Even if you can logically explain why pieces of their argument are incorrect, they won't listen to you. And in fact, they'll turn it around and put words in your mouth that you never even said or frame it in a way that they know you didn't intend because they're paying lip service to this viral idea. And so I think some of what we're seeing is some literally mental illness, like they've been infected by a thought and haven't had the defenses or don't have the mental immune system to kick out a virulent and destructive idea. And it's yep. hold of them in his, in his, and so just as like if a world ending flu happened and nine out of 10 people died everywhere, the one out of 10 didn't die and they're going to be stronger for it. And I think that's what we're kind of seeing mentally. Like you talked about, well, is the planet going to, or, you know, like is our population going to, regulate itself. I think that's what it is doing. I think that's what these ideas are. It's like, well, you know, I've created a mind virus because these guys have figured out how to kill all the other illnesses that I've sent their way to try to manage populations. You know, the black death doesn't do it anymore. So I'm going to have to infect their thoughts and kill them off this way. And, and maybe, you know, if you look at it through that perspective, maybe it's a benevolent way to go. These guys can, and gals can, hate fertility 
you know, they can stop worshiping at the altar of fertility and they can worship at the altar of futility and they can live a life that doesn't have to be ended. You know, they don't have to be murdered by a virus or by their fellow man, but then they're not going to replicate. There's, oh man, there's a lot to say on that. Because, okay, what you're, what you're describing is basically ego inflation, which is where the contents of the collective unconscious grab a hold of your, of your brain. You think the ideas are yours, and you think that the will of God is acting through you. And it's like, if someone is ideologically possessed by an idea like radical feminism or communism or Nazism or any of the big buzzwords, it's as if there is a character within the collective unconscious controlling you. Now, it actually fits in perfectly with what you were saying because you're basically like Mother Earth had its own consciousness and therefore implicit in that is it's, it's autonomous, right? It has its own life to it. Now, archetypes are also the exact same thing. They're, auton they're autonomous, where they are a part of you as, a, as a, like a psychic entity, the self, but they also exist separately. And they go and they chuck things on the world and they create an emotional response. So if somebody is not very well personally developed, they're not very wise, they're not very strong, they haven't had many experiences or dealings with their own dark sides, then they're way more likely to be, to be captured by these, by these evil memes, I suppose, these, these, these virulent destructive memes, or in Jungian terms, they're way more likely to have those ideas come and possess them from the unconscious. And therefore you go and you become a slave to those particular ideas where actually those ideas are not yours, they have you. And it's like, that, that is a fascinating idea. It's just the archetype to me is more powerful because it's ancient, it's eternal, it exists outside of space and time. So we can't get rid of them. And that's fascinating. So only a finite number of human ideas. So when you said that the, that the benevolent way forward, I suppose, is almost sort of like, I, I, don't, I don't know this specifically what you were saying, but it's almost like implicit, let things run its course almost. It's like, this is sort of destiny in a way, Mother Earth sort of figuring things out. It's like, if we could contend with the contents of the unconscious properly, if we could maintain an ego personality and, and accept them and respect them, but also do not let them control you. And that's a really difficult thing to do. And that's the path of individuation in Jungian sense. Then maybe we would have enough wisdom. And this, this is the hypothesis. I don't know any other one you could possibly have. This is the myth for the modern man, I suppose. Then we would have the wisdom through which to reduce the amount of unnecessary suffering on planet Earth as much as possible. And implicit in that is not lead to the apocalypse. Because the apocalypse is unnecessary amounts of, of, of suffering. So it's like you recognize the ideas for what they are but don't let them control you you know it's like and it's not difficult to, to get out of the clutches of some of these ideas like when they become really painful and you're really resentful that, that's the archetypes projecting shit onto the outside world and then you identify as if that's really reality but like so many people are like radical feminists and then they go watch jordan peterson and they're like well i'm 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 a happy little buck home now like it, do, it doesn't necessarily take too much to get rid of those ideas. But then if that's the case, and this is sort of like not a challenge, well, I guess it's a challenge to your idea. If that's the case, if we all ignore those things or we integrate them properly, then does that mean that we are immune in many senses to, to the will of God or the will of Mother Earth in your particular argument, that whatever it was doing to us with those ideas, we can contend with them properly. You know, so how would you, how would you challenge that idea? Okay, I'm going to weave a tapestry here and it will be very illuminating about how I've been thinking about these things for a long time but just have a little patience because I'm going to be picking a couple things and then finally bringing cool. it together. so 
number one is to understand that I'm from Utah and I am descended from pioneer stock on my father's side. Joseph Smith convinced people in my family to pack up all their shit, throw it in a wagon and come out here. And they kept following Brigham Young after Joseph Smith was murdered and they came out here and started farms. And this Utah, Utah is a beautiful place now, but when they found it, the reason they came here is because it was the ugliest, harshest place that they had come across yet. And they figured nobody was going to argue with them about coming here. Essentially Brigham Young was a shrewd motherfucker. Hmm. He said, okay, I need a chance to establish what I've been tasked with establishing and I'm going to do it by any means necessary. And that meant murdering. And that meant a lot of shady business deals and stuff that he arranged. And Mormons don't like to talk about that, but they're, their culture and church survived because of the hardness of that dude. But regardless, they came here. I have family who came here and <clears throat> the Mormon church in its essence teaches you it's, and, and if you really pay attention to what it's trying to teach you, Joseph Smith set up a church and at the end point of the church, you're supposed to recognize that you are the God you've been praying to all along and now go forth and act as such. And everything inside of the church is aimed at leveling you up to the point that you recognize that fact. I mean, in the temple ceremony, and I'm not going to get too deep into it just out of respect, but there's a point at which you stand in between two mirrors facing each other. And you are between the mirrors, and you can look left or right and see infinite reflections of yourself. Hmm. And the idea is that you are eternal. Joseph Smith gave a talk called the King Follett discourse and it was at the funeral of a friend who'd been crushed in a mine where the digging of a well something like this and he introduced the adam god philosophy which is essentially this god the eternal father and the rest of us were a congregation of eternal souls we have always been we were never created we are part of the of the actual fabric of the universe god the eternal father is merely the most intelligent amongst all the consciousness and as such was elected to go and what he did is embodied he used his mind to create a body and inhabited it lived a perfected life died and was resurrected thereby setting the pattern through which we can ascend to godliness corporeal godliness as opposed to an incorporeal eternal soul. So God, the eternal father was the original Adam and Adam by definition is a being who oversees a world and is the gatekeeper to allow you to pass into your Adamhood. So the archangel Michael is supposed to be the Adam of this world. And he's the mediator, even for Jesus Christ to move beyond this realm and into the next realm. So I was taught, I was brought up on this philosophy and it's hidden mostly in normal doctrine, but it's in there. If you know, to look for it, it's level up to realize that you're a God and then go act like one because it's the belief that you really are one and will be one. You will be an atom for a whole planet. You live, you're resurrected, you embody your godliness and you become an atom for a planet. And God, the eternal father has continued this process indefinitely. So there's always a throne being vacated just in time for somebody to rise up and fill it. Is, is there a morality implicit in being a God or is it just sort of like power sense? God is good. Okay. Um, so, so you, so I have that. Okay. There, there are levels of ascension 
And those levels of ascension lead you to be a God. And then beyond that, a meta God, because God has continued and his pyramid continues to grow as people rise to fill the throne. Okay. So you have that. And then I consider memes and memes, you know, it's a concept that acts as though it's alive because it seeks to replicate itself and it seeks to breed with other ideas to create children that seek to replicate themselves. And then I consider archetypes. Okay. There are collections of ideas that seem to be perennially attracted to each other to manifest certain behaviors or certain concepts repeatedly over and over again. And it's, it's a higher order meme essentially is an archetype. It's, you know, it's a collection of memes that enter into a symbiotic and cohesive relationship and then seek to replicate that more complicated being like the human being is cells, but it's, it's a bunch of different cells that over time have learned to cooperate with each other. It's also bacteria and viruses and funguses. You know, it's a symbiotic relationship. I as a being and a whole bunch of other beings working towards a common situation. Mm. And my family's like that too. There are similar things and I see them in my family, the looks, the behaviors, the attitudes, and, and those things replicate themselves down your family line, including mental illness, including diseases, all, you know, like, these cluster of ideas, not all of them are good, but they still perpetuate. Okay, so so now I'm gonna now I'm gonna be able to twist all of this into how do you tell this story? So imagine imagine that an archetype is a house or a keep or a castle or a hold, and let's call it a high house. And this is terminology I'm actually borrowing from the Malazan Empire books. But so check this out because it's very useful and elucidating, especially given my context, Mm -hmm. you have high house concept. So let's say it's high house evolution. Well, inside of this house are roles to fill. So it's not just that an archetype has a king, an archetype has a queen, an archetype has um, a knight, an archetype has roles to fill and those roles, um, have specific characteristics to themselves. It's almost like um, an archetype of, of a piece of an archetype that's ubiquitous. And I think that these keeps or houses or holds exist regardless of whether somebody's filling them right now or not. So like if we imagine that there used to be the rugged Western individualist type, you know, the type that came here, my ancestors, the pioneers, they said, you know, fuck this. Um, I I believe in an idea and I believe in it so much that I'm going to go to the ends of the earth. I'm going to go gather the gold from the chaos. I'm going to go hammer out a living from the wilderness. And, you know, like maybe Brigham Young was the king of high house, rugged individualist in, in this scenario. Okay, well, he still needs a queen. He still needs a knight. And there was this guy named Porter Rockwell who was like a, just a badass dude. Brigham Young had sent him to do the murder and when it needed to be done. And he was happy to do it because he believed in the world. You know? but, so hmm. there are all these roles and, and a house will sit dormant until somebody rediscovers it and is ready to claim the throne. And so if you tie all these things together, okay, you have houses and these houses are just like any other form of life. They contend with each other. And sometimes there are alliances. Sometimes there are wars. And depending on the level of ability of the people who are filling these roles. If you're the king of high house, rugged individualist, and you effectively fill that role, 
you are going to be a lot more successful than the king of high house, wimpy, limp noodle bug. But those, those houses are available to claim. And I think right now um, we're seeing the ascension of house, high house, limp noodle weak fuck and high house, um, angry, non-breeding woman. And the knights and the, and the different roles are being f- happily filled by the people who are being influenced by these ideas. Okay, so now one last thing to mediate this concept is in the Old Testament, people worshipped and worked for God. Mm-hmm. Jesus came and flipped that on its head. At the point that Jesus arose, the gods no longer were the dominant force. The gods now work for us. The gods were flipped on their head, and they are now our servants. Jesus came here to serve us. He didn't came here to control us, and the Old Testament God is kind of about control. Go here, kill this, wipe them all from the face of the earth, and enslave their women and children. You know, like, that's, 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 a, that's a method of control. And then Jesus comes and says, no, the choice is yours. The power is yours. You are the ones who control the gods. And in fact, the kingdom of God is within you. The point is, his message is that should you so choose, you can take control of these gods, these high houses, and you can be the one to embody them. And you can be the one to direct them. And I'm here to serve you. I'm here to give you the chance to do that. It's like, it's like he is like there were elder gods right and they controlled stuff and there weren't there weren't positions available you couldn't assume their throne god the eternal father or like yahweh nobody's kicking yahweh out of his throne and he's seen to that intentionally and then jesus comes and he's like the last of the elder gods who opens up his veins and gives you access to the magic of the gods by offering you his blood and to the mm-hmm. extent that you drink it in, you can assume these thrones or these archetypes and control the direction that these godly forces are steering things. And it's all mediated through the blood of the one elder God who decided to sacrifice his own power in the name of ours. And, and so I think what we're seeing is the, the coalescing of stories playing out because of the blood of the elder God being available to us we're able to assume these thrones and these roles and contend with these ideas and see which ones will win given the current configuration and i think there's always just that influence to for things to continue like you know we we arose out of chaos for some reason it was it was pure chaos and then it was not and i think there's an influence in that direction because of that like if there was not we would not be so i know i've kind of taken a bunch of shit and thrown it at you there but that's kind of how i'm i've been thinking about things is how can i make a story out of all these concepts and what is it that i think i'm seeing and and it's not necessarily that jesus is the guy it's just that that concept of like the elder gods no longer being dominant and we being given the ability to assume the mantle of a God and, and being humble enough about it to go, you know, I'm just filling the role of the king of this house, but somebody could easily take it from me and the house will still exist. These mm-hmm. concepts will still exist. They've existed. Existence exists and the pieces of existence, the stuff that's necessary for it to be there has to be there. And it mm-hmm. appears that many of these archetypes are necessary for existence to exist. There's no really getting around it. 
like if life exists, life has to replicate because there's a finite extent to any single, like any single piece of existence seems not to be infinite. Just the whole is infinite. And so like it has to keep replicating itself in order to continue. So I've been rambling on long enough. Probably I'll let you chew on that for a minute, but that's, that's kind of how I've been framing my thought for quite some time now. That's yes. I've got a lot of things to say about that. What's the best way to go about doing this? So you have like, they're like paganism, which is like, it's almost like deification of a particular emotion or a particular energy. It's like, that's the God and like Aries was the, was the dominant God before sort of Christ came along. It's like, that's an interesting thing. What the hell does that mean? And it's, it's very difficult to know what that means if you're not purely immersed in, in the religious sense. It's like, he's the savior and he comes from God and we must listen to him. So, okay, fair enough. What does the symbolism mean? What's, what's the core idea there? And, and Christ is a symbol of the self, is what Jung said. And the self was psychic totality. So consciousness and unconsciousness together. And Christ's message fundamentally was the kingdom of God is within you. But we have so many different Christian denominations which can't seem to agree on what the true message of Christ was. So that's a really weird idea. But what Christianity seemed to have developed was the idea of alchemy. And the alchemists did have this idea of the kingdom of God is within you. And so when you, when you go down sort of the more, more psychological tradition, it seems to make sense that, that the way for eternal life or life as such to continue and there's, there's a hypothesis this can manifest in one particular individual. If the ego completely meets the self, so completely contends with the unconscious forces and the collective forces, maybe they're able to transcend bodily death and enter the substrate on which the, the psychic world is, is contained. That, that's weird. But the way for eternal life as such to maintain itself is, is to contend with things properly using the truth. So it's like, almost like the Christian God is truth, capital T, truth. And it's like, that's a very, very, very strange and interesting idea. So archetypes evolved over a very, very long period of time and they're autonomous to us and they will control us if we're not careful. So paganism has actually never gone away it, because paganism is, as, as, a, as a practiced thing, is an articulation of particular patterns of, of behavior, worshipping of these particular unconscious forces. So that never went away. And... Therefore, we are still prone to being under the control of particular energies and particular archetypal themes. And the hypothesis with Christianity is if you take the self as a totality and if you take the truth as the highest virtue, virtue capital T, that definition being that which propagates life for the longest period of time, then and, and this this is also why suffering may have been deified in christianity because suffering may be necessary for that but you don't deify the suffering you deify the actual truth that that's the way to go forward you know so mormonism sounds very very interesting in that regard it's like you end up becoming a god yourself if the kingdom of god is within you i have problems with that because that means you start identifying with archetypal contents itself you identify as the god rather than the god is within you and you are within the god so that's one of the reasons why I like to consider myself to be a Christian because 
if that's the way forward for everything to remain stable, that we contend with the with the archetypal contents properly and you don't let it control you, in other words, you focus on capital T truth, then that will enable us to live and prosper for the longest period of time possible. And we haven't really run that experiment very long. You know, it's been 2,000 years. But there's another thing I want to throw in here as well. It's like if you've got archetypes, they almost form from a hierarchy. So you've got shadow, anima, animus, self. And the self, you imagine like God and Christ. So we can focus on that, which seems to be what Christianity did. But then what the Christians didn't do until later on in things like Paradise Lost, they didn't contend with the Antichrist, which is the shadow version of that. So, so the current story mapped out in our current Aeon, the Aeon of Pisces, is Christ and Antichrist. Christ being Jesus Christ and the Antichrist being the spirit of Faust. The, the Faust is born in like 1485 or something, are slowly coming together and they're slowly trying to meet. So it's like, almost like in, in the book of Job, and this is why I like the flat earth as well, because it seems to be archetypal in, in, in this nature. It's like God's controlling some people and Satan is controlling other people. And that's a really terrifying idea because it's not like people are misbehaving themselves. It's like people are possessed by the energy of Satan. You know, and people are possessed by the energy of God. So what the hell's the proper balance there? As far as I'm concerned, the proper balance is you need to recognize that you're an individual, but you're also divine at the same time and content with it properly. Otherwise you get disaster. It's why, it's why I'm not convinced by any of the transhumanism stuff. I'm not convinced by any of the radical environmental change stuff. I'm not convinced that we have to go seed Mars. It's like, cause that's, that's Faustian in its nature. That's satanic in its nature because we need to, it's the idea that we've fallen from the kingdom of God, but then in, in the, in the same breath, we've got to piece our way back up again. You know, so that we will create the kingdom of God here on earth, but that's always utterly, utterly destructive because there's always a snake in the garden. You know, there, there's always one fluttering around. Even God in the Garden of Eden, there was always a snake there. So it's like, in order to create that kingdom of God on earth, you have to, you have to squash anything that's not absolutely perfect. And it's like, what makes you think that in the process of doing that, you're not going to come under the possession of Satan or that particular archetypal force? You know, so those those some of the ideas that came up when you when, when when you were talking in terms of we're not necessarily in control but we should be we should contend with things properly you know so well let me that, uh, that, that me seems to be that. humility is one of the traits you need in order to go ahead and do that so let me tie it back into mormon theology a little bit since i've gone down this track a little bit and i'm quite familiar with it the story goes for mormons in the pre-existence, um, God, the eternal father announced the plan of salvation and Jesus Christ and Satan were vying for the position of the representative, the mm-hmm. position of Christ. You know, Jesus became the Christ and the Christ is a very specific title for someone who does a thing. Mm-hmm. And Satan, in the pre-existence, in the Mormon theology, said, don't let them choose. If you want the plan to succeed, just make them do what it takes to succeed. And even given full knowledge of all the participants in heaven in this discussion of the power of the Eternal Father and of the character of each of the spirits of the host of heaven, one-third of the people one third of the souls in heaven sided with Satan and two thirds sided with God, the eternal father and Jesus Christ. And I mean, it's, 
it's like one third and there's one person and two thirds and two people, you know, like there were, but, but regardless, there was a war in heaven and Satan and his followers lost, which makes sense. But Satan was cast out of heaven and came here to this specific planet earth. And this is his domain and his followers were cast into outer darkness and the concept of outer darkness in Mormon religion is so far more profound than hell because what it essentially means is perfect and eternal disconnection. And Mormons teach that you can't go to eternal, you can't go to eternal darkness. You can't go to outer darkness from this existence because what it requires is perfect knowledge of God, the eternal father, and then to deny him. You already passed that test. But we've been sent here into the realm of Satan. This, this place has been set up by him. And he's not, that's the thing is, he's not far off from Jesus Christ. He wanted the exact same results. He just wanted choice to be removed from the plan. But the idea is that what he missed is that that's the whole point of the plan, is to choose, to choose into the plan and participate in it. So we come here and we pass through what they call the veil of forgetfulness. You had perfect knowledge of all this stuff in heaven and you passed your test so far. But now what happens when you don't intimately know the mind and character of God, the eternal father and the other people on your side, what would happen if I chucked you into the realm of the person who sought to destroy you in the first place? He's the master of this place. And what he's the master of is deception. And what is deception? What's a convincing deception? It's something that's so close to the truth, but has a seed of something false that if you allow it to blossom can destroy you. So we come here, no knowledge of anything. And we're thrown into the realm of our mortal enemy, our immortal enemy in a certain sense. And then we're asked to pass the test again. If you were given the choice outside of the influence of God, the eternal father and under the influence of the realm of the dark Lord, what would you do? And, and so that's, that's kind of like, I think that's correct. I think that's, that's like, um, that is correct to the experience that I have experienced. Um, you know, there are true concepts and, and you get invigorated by them and you explore them, but there can be a little seed that comes in and shifts your perspective just a little bit. And suddenly what was once confidence is now false pride or what was once service in the name of service, service in the name of self aggrandizement. And these mm -hmm. things always lead to your destruction and your demise. And so, I want to reframe the word shadow a little bit because don't like, I think people use shadow in place of evil. And I don't think that's quite right because what is a shadow? It's, it's a place where dark and light have mixed together somewhat, you know, like you're not God, the eternal father or Jesus Christ. And you're not Satan or, you know, the night of high house hell. What you are is like, to embody your shadow is just to admit what you are. You are, you are this, but it's not, it's not darkness and it's not light. It's, it's, it's where they meet. And, and that tension and that chaos that arises from shadow is what um, allows progress, but it's all mediated by choice. And so like we've, we've talked a little bit about, well, can you be forced to do like act a certain way by being, taken a hold of an idea or by an idea. 
And I don't think that's quite right. I think if you choose to accept an idea, there are then unavoidable consequences for as long as you allow that idea to hold sway over your actions or to influence you in a specific direction. But I do think people have the ability to choose. I think that's inherently what it means to be a person is to have the kind of consciousness that has the ability to choose. And so if you choose to seed your choice, then you will be driven to do certain things by whoever you've seeded that choice to. And I've begun to realize that maybe we're not all cut out to be effective choosers. I mean, I think we have the capacity to choose, but maybe some of us don't have the capacity to choose very effectively. And that's where the concept of a king comes in. We're a lord. It's like, well, if we, if we abandon the elder gods who did not allow us to choose, and maybe that's a psychological shift that happened in people. Maybe we couldn't always individually choose because animals appear not to be able to. And maybe as we evolved out of the state of being a beast into whatever it is that we are now, these choosing conscious beings, I mean, maybe that's what, maybe that's what the concept of the Christ is, is like the point at which we move from beast into choosing entity and, and thus began the journey into our godhood. But so if you, if you think about that, it's like, okay, so the elder gods are dead. That's the God that is dead is the God that makes you do stuff. To me, that's the God that is dead. The, the God that is living is the God that opened his veins and allowed you to drink from it so that you could learn to choose for yourself what concepts you allow to influence what you do. And so to, to the extent that you gather ideas that are true and arrange them in a way that is true, you will live in a way that is true. And the truth has certain sets of characteristics. Like, you know, um, if life is good, and I think it is, that's, I, I choose to believe that. And then again, you know, it's like, okay, well, I've chosen to believe that. But if life is good, then things that promote life are good and things that destroy life are not. But I'm neither, I'm not all the way one or the other. And I don't even have the capacity to be all the way one or the other in my current state. And that's why it's important to integrate the shadows because in this existence as it stands, I cannot be perfected and I cannot be totally corrupted. I'm a mix of those two at any given time. And to the extent that I can rise above most of my corruption, um, then I approach higher levels. And then maybe I have to leave this realm and go to the next one. But because... And then, and then it ties back into the Adam God and the eternal ascension is, okay, well, the greatest one didn't just stop. Life doesn't stop. Life doesn't sit. So the living spirit of the eternal father continues the process and continues to create new paradigms and continues to leave behind a gate and a throne. And there's a gatekeeper and a throne. And then there's another one. And so like, but on any of these levels, you're only approaching perfection. There's only one, there's like only one perfection and that throne is taken. Mm. Perhaps that's the one throne that cannot be taken is the perfected throne because, you know, all the rest of this is chaos and tension. And that's the whole point of the plan is like, we want existence to exist and continue to exist. And how is that possible? Mm. And so that kind of ties in. And that's why I tell my, that's why I tell people I'm a Mormon, but I'm not a Mormon not a Mormon in the sense that I go to church or that like I let the prophets of the church tell me how I should behave 
but I'm a Mormon in the sense that the training wheels that are contained in the Book of Mormon and in the way that they interpret the Bible allow me then to be an actualized individual who realizes that um, the only way that God works in this world is through my hand. And that to the extent that I align myself with um, the ideas of truth is the extent to which I align myself with my ability to embody the spirit of the divine creator and fill his shoes to the best of my ability. And if I can do that well enough, then guess what? I'm in a new paradigm. And if I fail at that, I sink to other paradigm. Like, so there's the idea of reincarnation that's very popular. And I, I don't think that's quite right. But the idea that your essential unis might be able to experience different realms or levels. I'm very attached to the idea that I, Chance Lunsford, or whatever it is that describes itself as Chance Lunsford, is a unit of existence. I don't, I don't like to think that I'm not because I used to think that way and it almost destroyed me. Mm. And I like to be alive and I did not like my existence when I felt that way. And so I've chosen to believe that I am eternal and I like that idea because it, the, the way that it frames my thinking and behaviors grants me more benefit and grants me more blessings. If you want to look at it that way, after I decided to frame my mind that way, I've accomplished far more since I decided I was eternal than when I decided I was not. And I think that choice is yours too. And I think that's the point of the outer darkness idea. It's like you were in heaven and you decided to come here. That's another part. You decided to come here. You chose to participate in this plan. And I think you can continue to choose yourself right out of existence should you decide to. But I think you can also choose yourself right up into higher and higher thrones and realms and continue to be. And I think that that's the great gift of this, of, of these archetypes and, and, and of integration of the shadow and of the fact that memes seek to replicate and of the fact that life divides and spreads and seeks to continue the process. It's like, I, I live and I love to live and I've given the opportunity to my three children to experience the same process and I garden and I raise livestock and I, and I look out into the world and I see problems and I see suffering and I want to help it and I want to enhance lives, you know, because I've chosen to believe that life is good and I'm eternal and the consequences of what I do will impact my ability to go other places when I leave this one. And so um, it's important, I think, to have something like that whether or not it's true, I mean, I can't say it's true. It seems to be true based upon this, you know, you, sh you shall know them by their fruit. And, and I talked about this in the ION podcast, but, you know, fruit has seeds. And seeds grow. You plant a seed, the seed grows, and it creates a thing that creates more fruit. And so, you know, like my kids are my planted seeds. And, and literally, like my seed has been planted in fertile soil. And now this tree of life is growing and will produce its own fruit with its own seeds and you know, and then you can really tie genetics and stuff into this. Like, okay, well your choices change your epigenetic stuff. And then when you breed after those changes, it affects the line permanently. So your DNA is literally mediated by choice. The quality of your life is mediated by choice. Um, the consequences of your life are mediated by choice. The things that you interact with are mediated by choice. It, it seems to be that the fundamental 
purpose or like the fundamental method of navigating this life as a human being is through choice. And we seem to be unique in that ability. And I ask myself, okay, if existence didn't exist, or like if, if chaos only existed and its natural state of matter is to exist in that state of just pure potential, but, but nothing exists and then something existed, what would mediate that? Well, it has to be choice. And then you start thinking, okay, well, what chooses? A consciousness chooses. And it's a consciousness like mine. So it's a person. A person chose. And a person chose to create and then created a system to allow choosers to choose to create or not. And if you choose to create, you continue. And if you choose to destroy, you don't eventually. Like you can level yourself all the way down into... But, but then, okay, if we're eternal beings, then you can just choose to separate yourself from everything forever. And you just are there, not interacting, not interfacing, not thinking. It's the heat death of your soul. Or not. And it's mediated by choice. And I, I think that's the, the message I really want to try to convey to people. And I've been trying to convey to people. It's like, no, it's your choice. You choose. If you choose to believe that there's no purpose to your life, if you choose to believe that you don't have a choice, if you choose to believe that free will is a farce, it will be as such in your life because you've chosen it. If you choose something else, you can create that reality for yourself. If you choose to believe that you are an eternal God who's learning how to be an effective one, you will create a life as such because you have the ability to choose it. If you had the faith, you could move mountains. So choose in. Choose in, choose in, choose in. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very, it goes down onto the definition of truth. It's like, is it objective fact or is it that which serves life? You know, it's like, why can't they both be the same thing? You know, or, or why can't you have both of them separately? But I agree you have to choose the right path or choose what you want to do. But then you have to also balance that against you know, what the right thing to do is. You can't just go and do whatever the hell you want to do because you could think to yourself like a, a, a hedonic life might be the best thing, for example, which it might be the best thing, I don't know, but it's like probably not. Now, you've also got to, are those ideas that you're acting out yours or are they something else? And, that, and, that, and that's the fundamental conflict between Christ and and antichrist and the archetypal contents of the collective unconscious it's like are they your ideas that you're going or is it the will of god in which case which god are you going to go act out it's like your if your mindset if your mindset allows you to live the most prosperous life possible and act in a way that life continues forever then it's true and 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 you could say that lots of different people are acting in that particular way with different worldviews and it's like they're not if you it's like surface fluff but if you go down to the main idea of what's common across them it's the idea of service to capital t truth you know it's it it is a very very powerful idea but the idea of telling people that you need to go become a god i think you have to you have to i guess uh, make sure that you bolster against that don't just be your god it's almost like you are a God and not a God simultaneously, that you're the ruler of the kingdom and you're also a citizen within the kingdom. So it's like you've got to permanently serve 
total balance because otherwise you become the, the the tyrant idea it's like are you capable of doing anything you want if you put your mind to it and it's like maybe maybe but also what's to stop you stepping all over other people to get there but then that's not capital t truth if you take that particular definition because you want and that seems to be what christianity is in my mind it's, it's that art it's that semi-articulation of the way of being that propagates life now and forever in the best possible sense so it's like and there's a leap of faith there because you don't know what the hell the future is and we haven't run the experiment very long so it's like why not buy in you know if god did god die or did god just go inside your head you know so there's like a different way of looking at it but um how much how much longer do you do you think we should go on this it's obviously you've been going for an hour 15 I mean, we can, we can call it. I was just having a conversation with me, pal James. I'm going to try to make something entertaining out of it. Cool. 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 That, that got very, very deep. I found that most conversations of this nature immediately go to good versus evil. So it's like every, like every single choice that you have to make, exactly what you're saying, every choice fundamentally is a battle between good and evil. Good being that which propagates life and evil being that which doesn't. You know, but and, and but I'm, but, I'm also saying it's not possible to be either or in this existence. It's it's a, it's a spectrum. It's a, like if I if I choose to breed, okay, that that promotes life in a certain regard. But what if what if my particular genetics create psychopaths who then don't breed and murder lots of people? I mean, it's not cut and dry. But it's you have to have faith in the idea that if you choose what you believe serves truth to the best of your knowledge consistently, that, that will work out better than if you choose in any other fashion. You know, I, like I don't have perfect knowledge of existence. I don't have perfect knowledge of consequences. I don't have perfect knowledge of any of this stuff. And so how could I make perfect choices? I can't. And furthermore, I've been influenced by a lot of stuff that's not right or does not serve life. And it's, it's part of my fundamental makeup. Well, it's like the only truth you can know is truth that's good enough. But also you can't just take breeding as a situation in isolation. So you will breed, but then you will also, because of your choices, try and do the absolute best with your children that you possibly can. So it's like the mode of being of good rather than good action. You know, it's, 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 like, um, it's like, I don't think, for example, that one cigarette exists. So what makes you think that that is actually a cigarette? It's not because, because of its addictive quality. It's like the action of doing that in one specific moment manifest is almost like a cascade through time of pack after pack after pack after pack after pack. pack. You're basically saying I will die of lung cancer unless you then decide with great moral and it is moral effort because it's very, very difficult to do and, and, and painful but it's for the greater good capital t truth right it's like that i will stop so it's like your your act of breeding is a specific manifestation of the mode of being of of as much truth and as much faith in truth and goodness as you possibly can right yeah i mean well it seems to be that a material thing is a concept embodied and to understand the nature of something you you have to understand the concept that lies behind it like a human that's and that's what i've been saying about a human a human being is the concept of a choosing entity embodied we have opposable thumbs you know we can we can make stuff we can interface with the world and we have eyes to see you know we have senses and then we choose we are we are the embodied material essence of a conscious being that chooses and just like a cigarette is the embodied concept 
of an addictive poison and some other concepts too, you know, but like when a thing materializes into the physical world, it's because concepts have coalesced and then embody it. And what I'm suggesting when I say someone is a God is just that they have the choice about which concepts they will embody, like which mantle they will accept. And the consequences there's like free will doesn't apply to the cascade of consequences. It applies to the cascade of consequences you choose to participate in. I can do something and then stuff will happen and I can't change the stuff that will happen. It's a necessary course of action. It's, a, it's like an existential imperative, but I can choose which imperatives I participate in. Mm. And that's what I mean by a person is a God is just that you can mm. choose which reality to embody you can choose which concepts to allow to embody in in your life and the more like the more people that embody a particular concept the more likely it is to stay in the physical world like a cigarette doesn't have to exist it does exist because enough people have chosen to allow it to exist in their life that it is embodied in the physical world if zero people decided to allow those concepts to exist there would be no cigarette but the concept would always be there that's you know like a cigarette could always exist because it has existed. It is part, it's part of the possibility of existence. Yes. Anyway. Yes, I, 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 can I ask a really quick question yes. about, about the Mormonism thing? So when you, when you die, you become, and you become the, the god of a particular planet. So is the, is, the, is the planet the canonical unit of life, the canonical unit of, of entities as such? So if that's the case, what's going to happen to this planet when it's destroyed? If the planet ends up getting destroyed, what happens to the actual God who rules over it? Well, funnily enough, um, number one, there's a concept in the Mormon church, worlds without end. Essentially, universe, the universe is infinite and there are infinite worlds to embody. But Joseph Smith said that at the end of days on this planet, all the dirt and and, and everything will be sloughed off of this planet. And what will be left is a crystal core of the planet that will shine brightly and like resonate, you know? And it's interesting because now we're starting to discover, Hey, maybe the core of the planet actually is a crystalline structure. Mm. Um, it seems to be, that's how energy is transferred. But regardless, you know, um, there's no, there's no specific description of, um, what will happen like there's no there's no idea that this planet will ever completely cease but that this planet will be cleared of the debris of dishonesty and like the influence of the dark lord and what will be left is a clear crystalline planet that you could see all the way through and that the beings on this planet will then harmonize with that clear true existence and continue on into eternity essentially mm-hmm. and that's the same idea it's like you eventually you can perfect a thing so that it becomes eternal. Like this planet, if we want to consider a planet as living, the planet is living a life. And once it has perfected its life, it will clear off the detritus of an imperfected life and then become eternal. Uh, gotcha. So. I, see, I, I always thought growing up that Mormonism was like a crazy cult that some bloke called Joseph Smith faked some gold tablets. And then because it had some kind of, some kind of power to him as like a God type figure. Everyone flocked to him and started a cult. 
but I, I guess it's clear that, that cults are not so, at least ones that last aren't really ones that are that shallow on the surface. They've got to have some actual power, some, some unconscious revealed truth to them. It's just like, it's absolutely fascinating. Well, I mean, I think your, I think your estimation is correct. It's just that he also um, read every book on mysticism and every religious book and, and Masonic traditions and, and everything he could get his hands on. And he decided to create a church that was the best church that he could imagine incorporating all the concepts that he felt were true and um, creating a system to allow you to ascend to his level of understanding where like, regardless of what you think about the guy at a very young age, he was able to convince people to give up everything that they had and believed in, throw it all in a cart and walk across the earth with him. And he also was able to create a church that conglomerates a bunch of very esoteric and hard to understand concepts into a single system that even a retard could understand progressively. Um, he, he had a power of personality and he was a very intelligent dude. I mean, I, I've often thought that perhaps he was a psychopath who was looking for a system um, to teach psychopaths how to actualize themselves as a benevolent psychopath as opposed to a destructive one. Because mm. like if you read his journals, they're available online. He'll be doing stuff and then he'll disappear for three weeks. There won't, there won't be any entries. And then he'll come back and he'll say, um, I did something that was against the prescriptions I've been given or like I've done something against the actions that I know are true. And I lost my ability to see the path forward. I lost my ability to prophesy. I lost my ability to touch into the vision of the world I'm trying to build. And I think he really believed that he was being given visions by a greater being. Um, and I think that like I have an idea and to the extent that I'm behaving in a way that allows me to accomplish it, I'm serving the vision. And if I fall off the train and I do things that are against um, the dictates of what it takes to accomplish that vision, I no longer have access to it. It's a powerful tool to think like if you have a goal and it's crystal clear and you can see the path forward and all it takes is a bit of effort, but then you go off the rails and you don't even know what to do. You can't see a path forward. You can no longer see your vision. It's something you should take note of. If you have something you want to accomplish and you're doing things that don't get you there, you need to pay attention to that. <laughs> yeah, when I had my vision from God, which happened to be my anima, my pagan anima, it, it, it told me things that I knew already, but I knew I needed to do. I wasn't doing them necessarily. I was doing them in part, we'll say. Some of them I was doing in part. And if I deviate from it, everything goes really badly. So it's like the best way to actually look at that is it's a vision from God that's prophetic. And if you obey it, good things will happen. And if you don't, bad things will happen. And it was so unbelievably spot on. The more I go through, it's been a few months now, but the more I go through time, it's so spot on it's like it makes you think that this is one of the first videos that i made on youtube when it was like really low production it was like everything that you do matters and it's like it's almost like time is some kind of matrix where everything's connected to everything else and if you do one thing now you seed exactly as you're saying things later on down the line and it's you gotta you gotta watch yourself so carefully because even thoughts you gotta watch them carefully because thoughts have their own qualities to them as well and it's like if i keep entertaining this thought so what the hell makes you think you're thinking a thought? It's like, you're not really. It's like, if you do this action, which is just thinking, you're actually in the future shooting up a school. 
you know, and it's like, because we can't see the future, we have to take it on faith and like probability. So it's like, do you buy into the faith of the will of God in that, that way where if you behave a certain way, bad things will, will, will happen. It's like, well, that seems to be the most wise thing to do it. In which case God didn't die. It's like, he did just go inside you. So, but on, on Joseph Smith, he may have done great things, whether or not they were moral or not, but he still couldn't take a bullet. So it's like, never mind. Well, you know, he was in the jailhouse and he took off his garments and he said, I go as a lamb to the slaughter. It was, he was, he was planning on taking the bullet. It's like Aesop Rock says, ain't no motor like a martyr made motor because a martyr made motor don't quit. Very good. <laughs> well, that's okay. That is fascinating. Did he also fall out a window as well? Well, he shot out well, yeah, they were trying to shoot him in the jail. So he jumped out the window and they still got him. But I mean, he got, I, I, the story goes, he was shot in the jailhouse, but not fatally jumped out the window. Um, and they got him outside the jailhouse. Hmm. They're probably uh, a better, better way to go being shot rather than being torn to pieces by an angry mob. He will. I mean, he was tarred and feathered. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So he maybe he knew it was coming by then. Well, you know, if they're willing to tar and feather me, I probably just better deal with this and <laughs> yes. let, let people carry on the message. Yes, 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 yes. And maybe on that note, uh, you know, we uh, we accept the consequences of our actions and we step back to see what how it plays out here. <laughs> Is that your way of saying end the show? I think so. Cool. I'm going to press stop. Cool.